going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 11 today. Matthew chapter 11. And uh, as we prepare to read, let's uh, say together our verse. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And even though these words were written a long, long time ago, we thank you that they are holy words, that they have been preserved, and that they now speak to us today. And so bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, that it may be pleasing in your sight, our rock, our redeemer, and our good shepherd. Amen. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. For this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. For truly I tell you, for truly I tell you, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the law and the prophets prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he's got a demon. And the son of man, he came eating and drinking, and they say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus and John have a rather unique relationship. When John and Jesus are still in their mother's womb, when Jesus' mother Mary walks into the room, John leaps in Elizabeth's stomach. Not just a little bit of a kick, but a massive one. 
already in the womb before either of the boys is born, there is clearly a connection between these two gentlemen. And John is raised and he is prepared. And so when the time is right and he reaches the age of ministry, he heads out into the wilderness around Judea. He clothes himself in camel's hair, not fashionable. He eats locust and wild honey, not a great diet. And he preaches a message that while lots of people come out to hear, it's not because they get warm fuzzies from it, but rather because he's a little bit of a sideshow. And the message that he proclaims is repent. The way you are going, do a 180-degree turn and head the other direction. And the church leaders, the elders and the pastors and the deacons and the priests and the prophets and all of the people whom God has appointed to help lead you in the right way are leading you the wrong way and so ignore them. And so he ticks off just about everyone he can. He even gets in trouble with the king, Herod. And so in chapter 4, verse 12, we hear as John the Baptist is thrown into prison. And in that very same sentence, we find that the moment John is thrown into prison, Jesus begins his ministry. It's almost as if John has to get out of the way in order for Jesus to start. And so it's not just that John and Jesus have this strange relationship while in the bellies of their mother, or the message of John that he proclaims is strange, but it's that there is a clear connection that the only way Jesus can start and preach is for John to get out of the way. And we're now a couple of chapters in. Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount. Crowds have flocked to him. Crowds have brought sick people, blind people, paralyzed people, leprous people. All kinds of people have been brought to Jesus. And John sends his disciples out, those who have been faithful to him. And he says, I want you to find out for sure if you are the one that has been promised. And we should ask ourselves, why would John ask this? If he knew from the time he was seven or eight months in the womb already that Jesus was the one and jumping up and down inside, And when he sees Jesus, he says to those around him, it's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And when Jesus says to him, will you baptize me? John says, I couldn't do that. I shouldn't even untie your shoelaces. Even if you took off your shoes and asked me to undo the double knot, I'm not worthy to do that. But John is in jail. Which is a way of saying, when you devote your life to Jesus and you proclaim the message of repentance and you even get off the stage 
so Jesus can get on the stage, wouldn't it be nice if he'd get you out of jail? And so he sends his disciples. And Jesus responds in a way that makes things even worse. Because Jesus quotes Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Isaiah 35, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. For those following along, that's in Matthew 9, verse 30. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Matthew 9, verse 33. The lame will leap like a deer. Matthew 8, verse 13 and 9, verse 7. The mute tongue will shout for joy. 9.33. In Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. It's Matthew 4 and 5 and 6 and 7. And the end of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 reads, He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners. But what doesn't Jesus say to John's disciples? The evidence of the Messiah is here, except for you. Which is a rather disappointing thing to hear. A number of us here this morning used to be members of Rogers Heights Christian Reformed Church. Some of you maybe have never heard of Rogers Heights Christian Reformed Church, but at one time, Rogers Heights was a really thriving church in the neighborhood. And they were faithful to God in their ministry. They gathered for worship weekly. They anointed and called faithful deacons and elders. Rogers Heights doesn't exist anymore. And about a third of their members transferred here. Which is to say that when the kingdom of God is present, it may not be present in the way that you and I want. I find this passage to be one of the most difficult passages in the entire gospel story of Jesus. Because John the Baptist has given himself in all of the right ways to prepare for Jesus. When John's disciples and the crowd said, we want you to be the Messiah and lead us home, Jesus said, I must become less so he can become great. John never got in the way of pointing to exactly who Jesus is. And he will die in just a few chapters, not getting out of prison, with his head cut off because of the request of a teenage girl. 
Go out in love and peace to serve the Lord. That's a challenging thing to think about. You can spend an entire life proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, pointing to the word of God, saying every single week, it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about Jesus Christ, it's about the glory of God the Father, it's about the work of the Spirit moving and breathing in our world. And there are times where when we send the message to Jesus, are you the one that we have hoped for? Are you the one that we have been waiting for? Are you the one that we believe will finally show up and rescue us? Jesus sends back a response that says, yes, but not in the way you want. And yet, John give, or Jesus gives this message of incredible hope within earshot of John's disciples. The scene, as Matthew lays it out, has this close interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And then as John's disciples are leaving, Jesus begins to speak to the crowd. And so we get this close encounter and the sense that we get after Jesus says, blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me, which colloquially we would say today, blessed are those who aren't offended by Jesus and keep the faith. As they are sort of hanging their heads thinking, oh, John is not going to like this message. Now we got to go back and we got to tell him. As they're leaving, Jesus turns to the crowd and says, it's been this way from the beginning in the way in which God works. Because when John went out of the wilderness, so many of you went out not because you liked what you heard, but because that was the calling God gave to John, to go ahead of Jesus. You didn't go out there and you didn't see royalty. He wasn't dressed like a king. You went out there because it was a little bit like a sideshow. And yet you heard the message to repent. You heard the message that the kingdom of God was near. And that was the purpose that God gave John. Which is to say that everything God wanted to do through John, he did. And the message that goes out, like children in the marketplace saying, we played the pipe for you and you didn't dance, is to say, we try to be exuberant and lively and go over the top. And you said, ah, that's too much. Jesus, tax collector, sinner, he's accused of being a drinker. He's on the side of too liberal too much goes, too tolerant. And on the other side, he says, we played a dirge for you and you did not mourn. In other words, John came and said, give everything up. Live in the wilderness. Set it all aside. 
And that wasn't right either. Which is to say that the kingdom of God has always and will continue to look very different than what you expect it to be. But God's purposes will always be realized. When a church closes its doors, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to think, how can God's purposes be served in that? But that's not necessarily our call to make. Two years ago, I started with Isaac. He's my fourth grade buddy at Kids Hope. And every week when I would go, I was given a walkie-talkie. And I was told that if he runs away, hit this button and everyone will come. So for an entire year, I carried a walkie-talkie and he never ran. And this year, I don't have a walkie-talkie. In many ways, that's about all in our relationship that's changed. From what I see, we still pretty much play the same things on Thursday afternoons. He still doesn't like it when I ask him questions. Too many questions. Let's just play. Okay. I have no idea if the kingdom of God is making any difference in his life at all. But I do know that I don't carry a walkie-talkie anymore. And my guess is you have walkie-talkie stories too. Maybe every day you pull out your prayer guide. And when you wrote down the prayer guide with the blue pen, it was on one side. But now that it's got black marks and red marks and even that weird purple gel pen, it's front, back, margins, and everything in between. And every day you pray through the list not knowing how most of those situations are, not knowing how they're going to turn, not knowing how the kingdom of God is going to use that situation where you find yourself to do anything for his glory. And yet, and yet, as Jesus calls out to John's disciples as they are leaving, this is the kingdom of God. Not as you expect it. Not even maybe as you want it. But it is here. It has come so close that it is now in your heart by the power of the Spirit to prompt you to be able to see and hear and taste and touch what God is up to. And the remarkable thing 
that God calls us as his faithful followers to is the conviction that the kingdom we are longing for and the kingdom we are striving for may not be exactly what he has in mind. But God will use us in our faithfulness and our faithlessness to do his work. Let's pray. Gracious God, some of us uh, come this morning and we are uh, struggling because it's the, maybe the end of the year and we're tired. Maybe we've been part of ministry for almost 20 years and we aren't quite sure if it's making a difference anymore. We've prayed for the same person for 65 years and we have no idea if their heart is any closer to turning toward you. God, some of us need, need hope. Hope. That you are exactly who you set out to be. The Savior of the world. And you came to seek and save the lost and to draw all into fellowship with the Father, not in a way that anybody anticipated, but what was your Father's perfect plan. For some of us who are there, may you fill us with hope. For others of us, God, may you awaken us with eyes to see exactly some of the places where fruit is being Bared. Maybe, maybe it's just a bud at this point, but it's there. And in that, may you spur us on to continue to do love and good deeds. God, some of us are in the twilight of our lives, and we are wondering whether the things that we have committed our lives to for the last eight or nine decades have been worth it. God, as we reflect on that, may you faithfully show us the ways in which you have been faithful to you, to us, and to your kingdom. And God, for some of us who are just starting out, help us to see the ways in which you have equipped us and gifted us to serve and love you and our neighbors. Thank you, God, for John for his willingness to go ahead and to proclaim the message that we say today, that we are less. Jesus is great. Amen.